This is a podcast from thebuglepodcast.com. The Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world. Hello, Buglers, and welcome to issue 237 of The Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world for the week beginning Monday the 10th of June 2013 with me, Andy Zaltzman, the uh, man, uh, and I'm in London, the uh, place, ah, my vocab has really taken a backward uh, ah, thingy this week, and uh, joining me from the city where penguins fear to tread, New York. It's, uh, hang on, let me just check the uh, the roster, uh, Obama, Ban Ki-moon, Mandela, Chomsky and Reese Witherspoon, uh, Lenny Bruce, and I think his agent brought them out, uh, Bieber and Albright, uh, no, not this week, Amelia Earhart, what a show that's going to be, uh, June the 10th, John, John Oliver, it's John Oliver! <laughs> hello Andy, hello Buglers, well, well, well Andy, Yep. I'm about to embark on the strangest week of my life, uh, <laughs> last night John Stewart hosted his last daily show until September, which was... A strangely emotional experience, and I stay strange, and because you know, well, as you know, I don't usually consider myself blood related to emotion in any form. And uh, now, from Monday, I start hosting in John's <laughs> place. And the last week, a couple of weeks, really, has been a bit of a blur. To be honest, I've had to do a lot of interviews, <laughs> which uh, is what you love, central. isn't it, John? That's what well, you're it's in not for. in. Exactly in my comfort zone, Andy. He's <laughs> not really in the same hemisphere as my comfort zone. I've uh, I've talked about myself more than I imagine anyone will need to hear for a lifetime. <laughs> in a desperate attempt to try and get people to watch the Daily Show next week and over the summer, despite the fact that the reason to watch the Daily Show will already be on a plane to the Middle East. <laughs> so, buglers, listen. Please do tune in, log on, or watch with your face pressed up to the Best Buy window to share with me what is going to be a weird, weird week. And by next week's bugle, at least at least I'll have four shows in the bag. <laughs> Even I had to do an interview about you this week, John. Did you? So, yeah, for the New York Post, believe it. Oh boy! Yeah. Oh my God! How was that, Andy? <laughs> Are you aware of what the New York Post is? No idea, no. I assume it's the same as the New York Times, but more so. Uh, It is, it's close. Right. It's close whilst being about as far away. It was the New York Post, Andy, that published the wrong two kids uh, as Boston Bombers on the front page of their newspaper and then refused to apologise. But apart from that... Apart from that, all I know is that I just had to send them a couple of those topless shots we did years ago when we were covering for money. (laughs) Well, I did, I did David Letterman's show on Tuesday, Andy, which was a big deal for me. I've loved him for a long time. And uh, I was so, he's a cantankerous man. You can never be sure whether you're fun fighting or actually fighting. <laughs> and I was so off balance through the whole interview that he brought up Belgium out of nowhere at one point. And I'm ashamed to say, Andy, I brought up chocolates and Jean-Claude Van Damme and not waffles. Oh, man. Not waffles. Waffles are the only thing anyone thinks of when the word Belgium enters their mind. And it probably speaks to how tired I've been. My brain synapses didn't make the single most logical connection between two things in the known world, Andy. Belgium and waffles. The Romeo and Juliet of countries and foodstuffs. I don't know what's wrong with me. Well, you'd better smarten up by Monday, John, otherwise it's yeah, going to no go very shit. badly indeed. No shit. <laughs> I'm going to be able to hear your voice in my head on Monday. you better smarten up. This is going to be awful. Now, you were in Norway, Andy, which is, of course, as we all know, famous for Vikings and nothing else. Yes, How was right. that? Oh, it was excellent, thanks, John. Yeah, it was... Uh... 
Vikings and Herring for Breakfast, which uh, I can heartily recommend to all buglers. Uh, uh, yeah, it was thanks very much to all the uh, Norwegian buglers uh, who came along, including Ben Smith, who designs the logo. He's oh, a New Zealander living in Oslo. He came to uh, one of the gigs uh, I did there. So I have a, po- uh, a photo of me and the world logo designer of the year, 20, uh, 2012, 2013, whichever year it was in. <laughs> uh, <laughs> 2009. Uh, uh, and uh, I'll put that up on the uh, Twitter feed, and I think we'll, we'll try and put it on the web page, uh, web page as well. So, but yeah, thanks to all the um, the buglers who came to my uh, Norway gigs. Uh, but you've obviously, you know, I've had a less busy week since uh, since I got back. You've been doing uh, kind of round of showbiz interviews and uh, yeah, yeah. going on David Letterman. Uh, for me this week, uh, a tortoise did a massive shit on my garden <laughs> path. <laughs> 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 Honestly, Andy, there were times during my week when I would rather have been watching that tortoise shitting than listening to myself. And next week, you might be, uh, you know, might be uh, shaping the future of uh, democratic discourse in America. Uh, I'll be taking my son to look for a squirrel in the woods at the top of the rope. So uh, <laughs> that's again, yeah. Andy. There are going to be moments when I will want to change places with you. Oh, but by the way, how were the uh, the stand up show gigs? Oh, they were good. Yeah, they were good. I. I'd forgotten I'd done them, Andy. Oh, right. <laughs> and I did eight, and I did eight of them this last week. All right. Oh God! Oh God! I think I'm hallucinating a tortoise shitting on my face now. <laughs> well, I can arrange that, John. It seems to have moved into our garden permanently. Um, so this is the week beginning Monday, the 10th of June, 2013. Mini, it's 220 years since on the same day in 1793. Uh, the Jacobins uh, c- gained control of the French Committee of Public Safety following the arrest of the Girondin leaders in the French Revolution and installed a revolutionary dictatorship. And on the same day, um, the uh, Natural uh, History Museum uh, of France was founded. And that must have been an awkward <laughs> awkward, <laughs> awkward opening day and an, an awkward thing for museum fans to have to decide, you know, what what do they go and do? Do they... You know, there's a revolutionary dictatorship just taken power, but I do love dinosaur skeletons. Tough, <laughs> tough call. Uh, in uh, on this day in 323 BC, Alexander the Great popped his clogs. Probably, probably poisoned. Possibly a trampolining accident. Maybe electrocuted trying to rewire a faulty toaster. We may never know. And on the subject of Vikings, John, 1,220 years ago, uh, this Saturday, the 8th of June. Mm-hmm. If you'd been hanging out in the Abbey on Lindisfarne Island in Northern England, you would have had your morning paddle in the North Sea rudely interrupted by some big, blonde, beardy bastards in silly helmets. <laughs> the Vikings had come, John, a terrific raid on the Abbey. Um, uh, commonly accepted as the beginning of the Viking invasion, the start of the Viking era, and also the launch of the great British tradition of getting hammered and smashing something to pieces at the weekend. <laughs> and it's very interesting uh, being in Norway and contemplating the Viking influence on British history and... Uh, the British gene pool, because uh, of course you know we're as a as a nation we're a mixture of uh, results of various invasions and the pillaging gene has come out strong, mm-hmm. left sure. proved very influential not just in the scenes that we see every weekend in our town centres on Friday and Saturday nights, um, 
which historians claim are eerily accurate reconstructions of Viking uh, Viking raids, raids, right down to the smell of piss and vomit. But also the Viking urge to pillage, combined over the years with the Roman love of administration, the Saxons' Germanic will to expand, and the Normans' <laughs> French insouciance to turn us into the cocky, empire-building, trinket-thieving machine that has left us with such wonderfully stocked museums. So, thank you, Vikings, 1,220 years ago. And in uh, 1949... Uh, on this uh, this weekend, Orwell's George Orwell's 1984 was uh, published. His terrifying vision of the past um, certainly keeps me up shitting myself about state intrusion into my life 29 years ago when I was nine. Good one, George. Uh, of course, the book was named after his two highest breaks in snooker, 19 and 84. Uh, he'd never got more than 19 in his 20 years of trying to perfect his snooker technique. Then one day it just clicked for him in a match against his fellow terrifying future predictor, Aldous Huxley. Huxley for once played a loose break-off shot. And Orwell, who'd never previously potted more than seven balls in a row, sank 11 reds, eight blacks, two pinks and a blue before running out of position and trying an ambitious double to left centre on a ready left on the cushion as an insurance policy. Orwell slammed his key on the table, punched the air and went for a piss. During the whaz, he became convinced that he was being watched by secret cameras everywhere and started graffitiing the classic novel on the toilet wall. Huxley, meanwhile, sat in his chair, affected to look unconcerned, took a couple of sips of water and started writing Brave New World. Eventually... Orwell returned, and Huxley took the next six frames to wrap up an 18, 84 frames to 19 victory. And, uh, oh, it's been a long week, John. That tortoise has got to me. Um, amongst Orwell's other famous works, of course, Animal Farm uh, is pitched for a children's cartoon, finally produced some 60 years later by the BBC as Big Barn Farm, complete with talking animals. The Road to Wigan Pier, a driver's guide to the A49 from Ross on Wye up to the north northwest of England, and Keep the Aspidistra Flying a guide on how household plants can save you from wasting money on a real kite. Was that the section in the bin or not? I don't think it was. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, there is a section in the bin. It's a DIY sound effects quiz. Question one. What am I drilling? Is it A, a hole for a new shelf? B, a hole for a new hook? C, a hole for a new hidden camera in the guest bedroom? Or D, a hole for exploratory keyhole surgery in my friend's <laughs> knee? <laughs> What the f*** are you doing? What could be any of those uh, four? Uh, Question two. Which of these hammer thwacks went wrong? Ow! Ow, that was my thumb! Ow! 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 That was my penis! Ow! (laughs) Just one of those went wrong. Uh, Question three. Grout or trout? One of these is the sound of someone doing some grouting. The other is the sound of a trout. Which is which? And finally, question four. Paper capers. I have wallpapered my living room. Can you tell what mistake I have made? Help! Help! Let me out! I can't breathe! Help! Help! If you get the answer to all those four questions right, you win the right to host week two of John Stint as the Daily Show host. <laughs> that section in the bin. We've had a lot of good luck messages, actually, from Buglers uh, to you, John, oh, for your... Uh, that's nice. Your, your Stint. Uh, some genuine ones, but also uh, this one. <laughs> um, yeah, okay. John, you've got the platform. Hold on, let me, let me just brace myself, Andy. You've okay, got the go platform. On. Now give the people what they want. Always has the trick for me. Love from Pope Francis. Brackets from Pope. <laughs> 
And also, Dear oh, the Bugle, nice. best of luck that's to nice. John hosting the Dialy Show. That's from the International Association of Old-Fashioned Telephone Addicts. <laughs> that's got um, Look, I'll, I'll take the well wishes where I can get them, man. Yeah, why not? Why not? Top story this week. You're the best around. Nothing ever gonna bring you down. You're the best around. <coughs> John, you really have to get all of this out of your system before Monday. Just... Do I? Yeah. <laughs> do I though, Andy? We'll see if I do or not. Um, we're at more or less the halfway point of the year, and it's probably a good time to get some of the scores on the uh, board for who is being the best country on the planet right now. <laughs> This is going to be a nervous moment for buglers all over the world, so uh, I hope you've got your winner speeches ready, as well as your uh, faked faces of happiness for when you lose. And of course, who's the best is a hard thing to rank. You really need to break that down into categories for most chaotic nation. You're spoiled for choice at the moment. (coughs) Syria makes a very strong case. Uh, Somalia barely seems to be a functioning country at all. But for the sheer spectacle of barbarism and and hopelessness doing a bloodthirsty tango across the country. I think you probably have to give it to us, Sad. Um, for best climate for a massive protest, again, strong nominees, Andy. That's a tough category. <laughs> uh, basically, anywhere in Europe, you're seeing a lot of things getting justifiably smashed. But for best protest newcomer, Turkey in particular, Andy, has put in a late run for contention as huge protests have been ripping across the country. A Turkish Prime Minister Erdogan is uh, sitting on a pretty combustible kebab of a country right now. He has called these protests borderline illegal, uh, which seems to be a way of inadvertently admitting that they are actually legal. (laughs) They're actually not on the border, they're behind the border, looking at illegal on the other side. The protests were sparked over the proposed controversial development of a park where protesters have been congregating and it served as a lightning rod and... Encompassing fears that Prime Minister Erdogan uh, is going to be imposing a conservative Islamic system of values on Turkey, which is, of course, a secular country. And I'll tell you what did not calm the situation down at all, Andy, and that was the tear gassing of a lady. Uh, basically, <laughs> there is a very famous lady in a red dress now, uh, Seda Songur. I'm positive that is not how you pronounce her name. Uh, is an unassuming middle-aged academic at Istanbul's Technical University. She found herself at the front line of a, a line of riot police and a series of photos show her being tear-gassed out of nowhere for no clear reason whatsoever. <laughs> the photos instantly went viral as they seemed to call into question the claim by Erdogan that the protesters were extremists living arm-in-arm with terrorists because this was clearly a nice lady <laughs> who was arm-in-arm with her actual handbag. <laughs> <laughs> It's so hard to tell in the heat of the moment, though, John. Well, that is the thing. That is, you know, what what could have been in that very small handbag. Documents? Documents of what? (laughs) Uh, In the city of Izmir, her picture has even been made into a a giant billboard where sympathisers can put their head through a hole where her face should be and pose for photos. (laughs) Although, look, for that photo to work, Andy, the photographer really should make you say cheese and then tear gas the shit out of (laughs) it. Of course, making the whole issue more poignant, John, is the fact that the site of these uh, the protests in uh, Istanbul uh, it was Gezi Park, the formerly the site of the Taksim Stadium, where Turkey played its first ever international football match <laughs> in 1923, right. when, of That's course, uh, Zeki Reza Sporal popped up with a couple of crucial goals 
in a scintillating two-all draw with uh, Romania. Terrific match for the neutral, that. Uh, and there are now plans to replace the park with a replica of a big old barracks building, uh, uh, possibly with a shopping mall, a mosque, maybe a museum, this and that. They seem to be riffing it as they go along. And this has not gone down at all yeah. well, John, with the people who don't have a lot of parks in Istanbul as yeah. it is. It seems basically, might possibly the equivalent of turning the whole of Central Park into a golf driving range, maybe of transforming London's Hyde Park into a giant exclusive hairdressers. I mean, it might be nothing like that, but it might be It might be a bit like that. And the people of Istanbul have called Istanbul shit on it and said what began as a peaceful sit-in protest to stop the park being bullshit-dozed. Uh, the <laughs> Turkish government, then, for reasons known only to themselves and people with extremely odd brains, then decided to plough in with riot police Firing tear gas and burning protesters' tents down, then water cannons, pepper spray, more tear gas just to be on the safe side, including, as you say, the woman in the red dress, tear gassed at what can only be described as point-blank range. Yeah, it was absolutely amazing. She was, it, was, it must have been about three feet. Yeah. Well, if, they were, if they really wanted to make her cry that much, from that, they could have just told her a really sad story. They were that close, yeah. that close. Well, or said, your red dress looks stupid. Yeah. You know, it doesn't matter. <laughs> so as a result of this, um, not really heavy-handed, but kind of morbidly obese-handed uh, reaction by the government, what began as a small group of environmentalists standing up for the rights, uh, for their rights and their lovely little park against the dead hand of commercially driven pseudo-progress, has now transformed into hundreds of thousands of people across the whole country protesting against the government. So they haven't really dealt with it. In the most productive way possible. And uh, Erdogan uh, gave a televised speech condemning the protesters, vowing, where they gather 20, I will get up and gather 200,000 people. That is, where they gather 100,000, I'll bring together 1 million from my party, which is kind of schoolboy psychology, really, isn't it? I've got more friends than you. And um, it's certainly not helped Turkey in the uh, chart of happiest nation in the world, which was produced uh, a week or so oh, yeah. ago, and uh, I'm afraid they've they've not made the top ten, John. Really? Yep. They didn't make the top ten happiest country. <laughs> no. Even though half the country seems to be on fire. <laughs> yeah. Syria right, it, it, also just missed out. And top yes. was Australia. Australia. Your uh, right. Australia's been ranked. Yeah, Australia's been ranked the world's happiest nation among developed economies. For the third year running. And they can add that, Andy, to the title I awarded them earlier this year of most comfortably racist country in the world. After I witnessed their inexplicably specific suspicion of Lebos. I guess it shows I'm right, Andy. They're happy. They're perfectly content with their level of Lebanese bigotry. Right. But, I mean, what are you suggesting that Lebanese bigotry is the recipe for national happiness? Well, it seems to be. Yeah. It seems to be. I mean, you want that not to be the case, but then you just look at the numbers, Andy. The figures don't lie. <laughs> because if you look at the the three countries below them in the top ten, Sweden, Canada and Norway, yeah, they have moose and they have bears, neither of which <laughs> Australia has. So it can only be the Lebanese bigotry that is really bumping them up the be. table. Yeah. It just must be. Yeah. How did it feel to be in a top five happiness country, Andy? Could could you feel the happiness? And did that (laughs) happiness go up or down after your gigs? (laughs) Uh, Well, uh, you can. can, It is is a 
it, is, it does seem quite a happy place. They've got you know a few problems, but uh, I think you can make top ten while still having a lot of problems, judging by the fact that America is in sixth place. So um, <laughs> yes, yes, fair point, Andy. Um, low, low punch, but a well delivered punch. <laughs> Oh, yeah, Australia's the happiest. Uh, Turkey seems to be uh, the best place to throw a brick at the moment. And in terms of the most positively, positively viewed nation in the world, there are some statistics available from the annual country rankings poll by the BBC World Service. And it's a surprise winner because Germany, yeah, that Germany, <laughs> is apparently the most positively viewed country in the world. Too soon, Andy. <laughs> Too soon. Yeah. They cannot be number one after what they did, Andy. There should be a hundred-year ban on them even being eligible for the number one spot. That's in right. Positively viewed. Too soon. There should be a hundred years. So that will take it up till twenty ninety-six until they can be forgiven for how Andy Muller reacted after his penalty sent England out <laughs> of the nineteen ninety-six so, Europe. It was so arrogant, wasn't it, Andy? Totally it was unacceptable, a strut. Germany. It was a strut. It was a Teutonic than, strut of the worst more, kind. More than uh, 26,000 people were surveyed internationally for this poll. They were asked to rate 16 countries and the European Union on what whether their influence in the world was mainly positive or mainly negative. Germany came out top with a 59% rating pos- uh, of positivity, and Iran was apparently once again the most negatively viewed. So there you go. You know, you, you, they've they got somewhere to go, Andy. They're, they're a builder club, Iran. <laughs> Well, it's just very, worried very that... nice people. I think they're getting judged by a very few unpleasant Iranians. Yeah. You just worry that, you know, as a franchise, they've just kind of gone too far down the wrong road. It's going to be very hard. You know, they're like the Cubs, aren't they? Yeah. Apparently the UK saw a bigger increase in positive ratings than any other country with this and climbed to third place in the table, mainly in the wake of hosting the 2012 <laughs> Olympics. It's not... We put on a good Olympics, Andy. Yeah. That's all it takes. That's right. And people clearly liked the nation we were pretending to be during those Olympics. That's, that's, that's bumped our rating up. It also does suggest that really the world should be considering giving Tehran uh, an Olympics uh, in the not too distant future. Now, just in terms of reintegrating Iran into the international community, that, that is the way to get countries viewed positively. Uh, Britain was viewed positively by 55%, negatively by. 18%. But these figures, of course, exclude a country's view of itself. Uh, oh, that's, that is a good point. <laughs> so, that's a good point. That negatives will go through the roof. Well, yeah. Well, so would the positive. I think uh, in Britain it's basically 100% positive and 100% negative <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> but I was, I'm still I'm surprised by this, uh, uh, how well America did in the happiest uh, nation. Obviously, Australia, the national uh, slogan, no worries. You expect them to be... Uh, yeah. To be near the top, despite their uh, fading cricket cricket team. Um, but America, because I mean, if you'd followed the uh, the election last year, you would have thought that America was about as happy, comfortable, and and at one with itself as a nation as a pair of violence hating, bolt gunophobic actors wearing an extremely realistic pantomime cow outfit in a very crowded lorry full of cows that's just turned off the main road after seeing a to the abattoir sign, and. <laughs> There was a story this week that suggests why America is um, so happy. And that was the story of the uh, National Security Agency uh, basically attaining uh, access to the systems of Google, Facebook, Apple and other internet giants um, according to a top secret document that uh, that had been leaked. Um, and I can understand, I imagine this will be featuring in, uh, in the Daily Show for you uh, 
next week. Um, maybe they've already hacked into your scripts and are kind yeah. of busy <laughs> rewriting probably, them. They've probably, they've probably made some changes to the prompter on the camera, have they? <laughs> well, it's just, it shows that America's happy with this, John. It's happy to have a government taking time out to keep tabs on things for us. You know, we all live busy lives. I, I for one, can barely remember which of my numerous sets of wives and children I'm supposed to be with in any given month, let alone what top-secret meetings of the Jewish cabal that run showbiz I'm supposed to be attending to schedule my latest massive primetime TV hit. And I'm sure many buglers have trouble organising their day-to-day lives. And that, is, that is where a comfortingly intrusive uh, state snooping operation really comes to a nation's rescue. And that's, uh, In Britain, we have the newspapers to do it for us. Uh, typically, the government outsourced it to a private company whose main imperative was, was profits. It didn't go quite as well as it could have done. Uh, but America, th- th- this is the recipe for American happiness, John. Snooping on the people. Sozzled Stalin news now! <laughs> and uh, a newly released Foreign Office report of a 1942 Moscow visit between Winston Churchill and Stalin has had some awesome revelations in it. <laughs> it basically reveals that talks were pro- uh, proving to be quite awkward until a late-night drinking session lasting until 3am loosened everything up. The file states that the mood was, I quote, merry as a marriage bell, <laughs> although Churchill was complaining of a slight headache by 1am. <laughs> the letter adds, the two men really made contact and got on terms. Yeah, I'm sure they were hanging off each other, Andy. <laughs> I bloody love you. All these others, they mean nothing, but you're my best friend. We're going to kick the shit out of Hitler together, you and me. I'm going to call you about it tomorrow, and we're going to f***ing do it. We're going to punch him in the ball face, and then we're going to go scuba diving together, just like we talked about. That's definitely, I'm definitely going to remember the scuba trip idea, right after I've just been a little bit sick over in this corner. I'll tell what we should do. I split Europe down the middle with a big fucking fence. <laughs> totally do that. That's it. I tell no, you what, there's no way that's going to blow up in a few decades. We'll just do it. We'll just do it. We'll just fucking do it. <laughs> and uh, the further transcript uh, has Stalin saying, uh, tell you what you should do, Winst. Uh, was at J-Dog, replied Churchill. Uh, Stalin Eliminate all your political opposition and brutally repress all forms of artistic uh, expression. <laughs> yeah, I should do that, Joseph. I really fucking should. <laughs> and you should grow a fucking big moustache. Yeah, well, this is... said Churchill. I've always thought the old face could do with a little bit of hedging. <clears throat> <laughs> this, this is going to affect the way I look at every photo of Stalin and Churchill <laughs> together forever now, Andy. Because I'm just going to be picturing Churchill with his arms around Stalin, holding him up saying, Hey, Stalin, you're f- you're nuts, but that is some amazing facial furniture you got. You're okay with me, kid. <laughs> Sir Alexander Cardigan, who was permanent undersecretary at the Foreign Office, wrote up the report of the meeting uh, that, uh, that this uh, was found in this file, saying, Conditions have been established in which messages exchanged between the two will mean twice as much, or more, than they did before. And so just because, Andy, <laughs> they were booze buddies. Is he claiming... That the Second World War could have been over years before if Churchill had just got into a drinking game with FDR. <laughs> Every time you say you're not coming into the war, you've got to take a shot. Hey! <laughs> he also wrote, what Stalin made me drink seemed pretty savage. Now, that could have been literally anything. I'm not saying Joseph oh, Stalin God. made homemade vodka out of poets. Yeah. I'm just saying he might have done, or at least I'm- had someone make it for him. 
Yeah, I dread to think what kind of cocktail Stalin had come up with, Andy, but I'm guessing it's the last thing you order before you black out. Well, I don't think he was on cocktails, John, because the documents also reveal that at the same meeting was Molotov. Uh, So (laughs) I imagine he was on on the cocktails, yeah. In fact, one of the bits of the transcript says, go easy on the Tabasco, please, Mollus. They're still cleaning (laughs) Sergei off the walls in the snooker room. (laughs) He was there. Molotov was there with his trademark cocktail shaker. <laughs> but I think this is very much the future of diplomacy, John, because uh, as we've already discussed in this show and s- repeatedly through the five globally happy years of the Bugle, um, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of problems in the world that uh, have not been adequately resolved by normal communication. So I think we need to resort to the bottle. Because if Churchill and Stalin, one of the biggest goodies in history... And Evil Genius magazine's world number one ranked baddie for seven years in a row from 1945 until British singer Vera Lynn surprisingly usurped him in 1952 amidst allegations of vote rigging by a man she'd rejected at a party late in 1951. Uh, <laughs> hey, Vera, I agree we will meet again, but I do know where and I do know when. Room 237 in five minutes. Ouch, that hurt. Oh, and so did that. But if Churchill and Stalin can learn to get along with a little bit of alcoholic lubrication. Then so can Israel and Palestine, North and South Korea, Turkey in itself, Australia and New Zealand even, or Bashar al-Assad and the rest of humanity. The world, would the world now, John, be in a better or worse state if all major political meetings since 1942, when this original one happened, had been carried out under similar conditions to the Stalin-Churchill booze-up? which ended up with them singing a karaoke version of Bon Jovi's Bed of Roses into an empty vodka bottle whilst agreeing to share Germany. Would the world be better or worse? It's got... Well, it's clearly you know. better. I'm clearly. Yeah, got to be. I think maybe you could introduce that to the interview section of the Daily Show, John. Just uh, Yeah. If, if just ever get... things are getting tough, just pull out a but bottle yeah. of vodka. Yeah. It's like, you drink half, I'll drink half. <laughs> And then let's have an amazing three-minute interview. And then tell me all about your book. <coughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's a long book, isn't it? And it's got a story in it. <laughs> your emails now, and this one comes from Melissa in the Bronx, uh, mm-hmm. which uh, I believe is in your part of the world, John. Uh, she writes, Putin on the pull, question mark. Dear Andy, Chris uh, and John, Did you hear the news? Vladimir Putin, the steely-eyed stealer of hearts the world over, will soon be back on the market. He and his missus are getting divorced. Uh, And this has got all... Yeah. All lady buglers, I'd imagine, uh, who have a bit of a penchant for uh, extremely domineering (laughs) Russian leaders very much uh, paying attention now. Uh, I think, given the proliferation... Melissa writes of the Bugle's popularity on internet dating sites in recent times. It may be time to turn that experience into an opportunity. I think the Bugle needs to start its own matchmaking operation for the sole purpose of finding Putin's new pudding. (laughs) It's as if the fates had spoken when a profile was created on Christian Mingle and other such sites. Someone was merely getting you an inside look at what you'd need to know in order to assist the delicious dictator in finding a new lady love. Maybe a sexy pun run from Andy, John's sultry rendition of sexy and I know it. Whatever it takes is what must be done. Do it for Vlad, do it for Mother Russia, but most of all, do it for love. <laughs> Touching email from uh, Melissa. So, uh, well, I mean, if, if, you, if you do want to submit an application to become the new Mrs. Putin, do email it into us. 
info at the buglepodcast.com and put in the subject box <laughs> Miss Mrs. Vladimir Putin the <clears> second. <throat> I have registered f- dungeons.com as well, should we go down the <laughs> rating group? Wow. There is an incredible sentence, Chris, that I guess I was just, It wasn't that I didn't think it was going to come out of your mouth. I guess I was just waiting till the perfect moment. <laughs> this one comes in from Doug in Baton Rouge, who writes, So, I just bought the Bugle coffee mug, and let me tell you this, it had better be f- funny. If it just sits there containing coffee, not telling jokes, I'll expect a full refund. <laughs> also, good luck to John hosting the Daily Show. Don't f*** it up. We'll all be watching. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah. I'm looking. I'm looking forward to it, Andy. It's not looking forward to a bungee jump. I'm sure it's going to be great fun and an amazing experience. I'm just not 100 percent sure that I should be doing it. <laughs> Did you see that video? Of the guy whose rope snapped. And he fell into a, a <laughs> pit of crocodiles, John. Really? And no, lived. He did I live. Did, oh, great. So it's a, that's a happy video. Then. Yeah, it is. Don't worry about the middle bit. He lived to make another movie. Uh, well, I mean, you can get... You can, you, all of you can test out whether how funny the Bugle mug is uh, by clicking the merch link on uh, uh, thebuglepodcast.com. Is it up there yet? Yes. Oh, good. Right, that's a relief. <laughs> so... Uh, yeah, I mean it's uh, yeah maybe you should you should try and get one on the on the Daily Show table, John. Just like oh yeah, pull it out. Yeah, pull it out. Wait wait until I got someone who uh, shouldn't be photographed or something like that, and just <laughs> slip it out for a Daily Show bug. <laughs> so do get your emails uh, and constructive criticism of John's performance next week. Uh, <laughs> coming into info at thebuglepodcast dot com. Don't forget to check out our SoundCloud page soundcloud dot com slash the hyphen bugle. Uh, spread the world, <laughs> spread the word to uh, to uh, to Syria and all other uh, non-bugle worshipping countries. Um, and don't forget to take out your voluntary subscription at thebuglepodcast.com or else we will hunt you down and hound you into the very bowels of hell. <laughs> so uh, well, that's about it for uh, for this week. Uh, yep. Best of luck, John. So, Thanks, mate. For exciting... Uh, Opportunity. I said in my interview with the New York Post, it's going to seem like a. You've come a long way since that gig uh, at the Space in Docklands when we ended up standing in an empty room after a hundred percent walkout. Well, in, uh, no, that Edinburgh no, preview. Knowing the New York Post, Andy, they may have taken that you know that quote and slightly <laughs> misquoted it into you saying something defamatory about Muslims. All oh, right. Okay. Knowing the New York Post, they might have led with the uh, John Oliver dreams of a tortoise shitting on his face line. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. You buried the lead post. <laughs> so uh, uh, I've got some gigs to plug as well. Uh, you might be able to see John on telly, but you have to fucking move geographically to see me. Uh, political animal. <laughs> This Thursday, the 13th at the Udderbelly in London. I've got a solo show there on the 27th of June as well. And another political animal on the 11th of July. Plus, for cricket fans, or people who hate cricket but love being at shows that they don't understand and actively <laughs> dislike, um, I'm hosting The Greatest Test, a series of Ashes-themed live podcast comic quiz show recordings conceived oh, by the media guru, Chris, the producer. Nice. That's me. Yep. The brainchild. Good of first the, uh, show on Wednesday. Yeah. We've got you, Miles Jupp, Giles Corran, oh. Kent Valentine, Amal Rajan. That's oh, good. That's great. Yeah. That's very that's good. Strong. So I'm uh, gonna listen to that. Yeah. So we'll, we will be talking shit about cricket <laughs> <laughs> whilst uh, whilst John is 
bringing American democracy to its <laughs> knees. <laughs> Bow down before me. What's the uh, the page where you can... Uh... Bookwhen.com forward slash greatest test. There we go. So uh, we're both both moving. We're all moving into the hot seat in our different ways this week. So <laughs> That's true. That's nice to know. Yeah. Well, best of luck, John, and uh, we will see you on the other side. Yes. Next, uh, in next week's Bugle. Until then, goodbye. Bye! Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth, Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss line bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you you, you must be so excited. Listen now. <laughs>